All right. Folks, turn in your Bibles to Joshua 10. Front of your Bibles, Joshua 10. We're still there. Today's title is The Sun Stood Still and the Moon Stopped. I don't know if you know or familiar with this text, but it is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely miraculous. You know, even though we make mistakes, and we do, don't we? Even though we make mistakes, we are to be encouraged that God can still achieve His divine and His sovereign purposes in our lives and through our lives. So just like, just like the Gibeonite deception that we spoke about last week, today we are going to see His work in this wonderful and miraculous mistake. We're going to see His work in this mistake. You know, my main idea today, <clears throat> as I was preparing, is that we partner with God in the pursuit of victory. We partner with God in the pursuit of victory. We have a partnership with Him. <clears throat> he promises victory. And His promise to us is that all things, all things work together for good. That's in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now Joshua and the nation of Israel were called according to God's purpose. And in this awesome story that's going to be presented today, we are going to see how he worked all things for good. But I want to bridge the gap here. I want to, I want to build a bridge from Joshua 10 into your life. This is about how he works in and through us. Don't mistake it. This is about how he works in us. In this book so far, we've learned some wonderful things. We learned from Joshua and Israel that God is the basis for our confidence, that we have been moved to the other side, that is God's side, just like they crossed that Jordan from glory to glory. We've been moved to God's side. He is who we trust in. We place our trust in Him. He is who we are obedient to. And in that, our desire must always be to keep our eyes on the Lord and continually consult God, inviting Him into every part of our life. That's what we've done in Joshua. Right there was a summary. Today we're going to understand more of what this partnership means and that we are all, you ready for this? That we are all on the receiving end of a great miracle. We really are. So what I want to do is I want to read a little bit, and then I want to talk about it, because I don't want to miss a thing in this book. Look at Joshua 10. We're looking at verse 1. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than I, and all its men were warriors. 
So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, and to Param, king of Yarmuth, and to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me. Let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings, uh, king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Yarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered the forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. Let's stop there for a sec. There was a great fear for the king of Jerusalem. And it, this was warranted fear. I'm going to tell you why. Gibeon it had made peace, although deceitful, had made peace with Israel. And the southern part, okay, the southern part of Canaan, where Jerusalem is, there were four cities above it. Those were the Gibeonite cities that made peace with Israel. So that barrier, that defense, it was removed. So yeah, there was fear. The location of these Gibeonite cities who made peace, that barrier was removed. Also, this city was greater than I. It was greater than I. It was royal, meaning it's a strong city. It's an influential city. It didn't have a king, but it had that royal um, persona. It was influential. So what they wanted to do was they didn't want to fight Israel. Well, not yet. They didn't want to fight Israel. They wanted to fight Gibeon. Let's take out Gibeon because if they join forces with Israel we still might have a problem. So there was great fear there. Five kings were called. Five kings responded with their armies. And we're going to see now that God is at work here correcting Israel's mistake. Don't think for a second that God has not corrected your mistakes and will continue to correct them. But we need to see this text and be able to relate this to our lives. Look at verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. Joshua, save us. Joshua, please help us. There is this vast army. All the cities and towns of five kings are camped right out in front of us. You're our protector, Israel. We're subservient to you. There was an oath made. You are now our protectors. Please come help us. That's where the Gibeonites are at because they are facing destruction right now. So look at verse 7. So Joshua went up from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him, all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, I love this, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man shall stand before you. Folks, this was a 25-mile hike from Gilgal to Gibeon. Not only was it a long hike, it was steep. You're going up rough mountainous terrain. You can imagine that these fighting men, by the time they got there, would be so tired. But what did the Lord say? Do not fear them. I have given them into your hands. Not a man 
shall stand before you. Now, it seems obvious here that Joshua most likely consulted the Lord, where he didn't do it before in the Gibeonite deception. Here he consulted the Lord because this promise seems to be a response from God to Joshua. Okay, remember last week, consulting God was the title. Joshua failed at that. The nation of Israel was very upset with him and the elders because they didn't consult God. It seems that he is here. But I got to point, make a point. Isn't this the perfect opportunity to just get rid of them? I mean, the Gibeonites deceived Joshua. Isn't this, could he have said, oh man, they could just take him out. I don't have to worry about this deception anymore. The mistake I made covered up. But Joshua was a man of integrity. Joshua kept his word. He made made an oath. And that oath was under God. So he was keeping this oath. But you know what else he realized? What a military opportunity. Oh, what an opportunity in what I call the miraculous that God has given. Do you want to know why? You had five kings with all their towns and their city. There were towns also around these cities. Their vast armies. Here they all are at one time out in the open. Out in the open. No drawn out campaign. Joshua and Israel could take them all out at one time. We don't got to go city to city and draw this thing out. Let's take them all out at once. That is the miraculous. So one by one, right? No, no, no. All together, they could take out all five. God is at work here. God is at work here. Let's look at verse 9. Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Huron. And struck them as far as Azekah and Makedah. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword." By marching, church family, by marching in the cover of darkness, when they were called, perfect timing, they were able to surprise the enemy. Not only that, when God says He's given them into His hands, He means it, they were thrown into a panic due to this. And we all know what happens when we panic. They were struck hard, folks. It was a great blow. A great blow. And they were chased. They were chased away as they were being killed. But here's the thing. Another part to this miracle is these large hailstones. Now, I've talked to some of you before. Some of you in Reedsville, some of you in Eden, told me about past storms with very, very large hailstones. I was once working in Texas. My flight had just gotten, uh, arrived after a huge storm. And the winds were devastating. Don't get me wrong. It, it reeked havoc on the city I was in, but the hail, the damage from the hail to, to buildings and awnings in front of buildings and cars. I went by a car lot. I felt bad for this car lot. Every single car was just destroyed by these massive hailstones. They do a lot of damage, 
But look at this miracle. These great hailstones are falling and literally killing the enemy, but they're only hitting the enemy. Have you thought about that? They are only hitting the enemy. More died that day from hailstones than the sword. God is at work. Now we're going to get to the meat and potatoes here. Look at verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. All right, this is huge. This is huge. The five kings and their armies had left their fortified cities. They were out in the open. Joshua was determined to prevent their retreating back to their walled cities. Determined. This was the advantage that he needed to end these five kings and their armies at one time. So Joshua prays. He prays for the sun and the moon to stand still. Now, there are skeptics out there that go, aha, we got you, Christians. What do you mean the moon and sun stand still? They're already still. It's the earth that's rotating. Well, of course. Of course. This is how we observe things from earth. The same skeptics will ignore the almanacs and their watches and calendars that say sunset and sunrise. Because guess what? The sun doesn't set. The sun doesn't rise. It's the earth. Folks, this is about language of observation. It's perspective from the earth. I see the sun set and rise every day. Okay, truth told, I don't see it rise. I'm not a morning person. But I see it set. And I can tell you it's a language of observation. And that's what's happening in here. To see the sun over... See, here's, here's Gibeon right here. Here's the sun, and the valley of Ajalon would be like right over here, and that's the moon. So they're apart. So they were standing still. At least, well, here's the fact that our eyes probably couldn't tell. We probably couldn't tell there was movement, and it looked still. And I'll go over that in a minute because that's one of the views. But to see the sun over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon and the fact that they did not move, at least, again, to their eyes, that had to be terrifying to the enemy. I mean, the day just kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going <laughs> with the sun and the moon in the same spot. I mean, that would have been something to witness. I'm sure they wanted darkness to come quick for escape, but it didn't. Let me tell you some of the views. Uh, some of them are absurd, but we know that. It was an eclipse. It was an eclipse. It's not that they stood still. Well, the problem is the sun and moon were apart. An eclipse, they come together. An eclipse only lasts a few minutes. It was not an eclipse. Um, a refraction of light. In this particular area, there was a refraction of light that stayed longer than other areas. <clears throat> That's hard to believe. Uh, a, a source of light. 
a supernatural source of light? Sure. Sure. I mean, there was light before God made the sun and the moon, right? His glory is light. Could be. The literal, the literal stopping of the earth's rotation could be. Cloud cover. Cloud covered the sun and the moon and allowed the men to kind of cool off a little bit so they could be refreshed and fight longer. Mm, that doesn't go along with the text. These are actual views. The best explanation seems to be the view that in answer to Joshua's prayer, God calls the rotation of the earth to slow down so that it made the time needed for Joshua and Israel to finish destroying their enemies. He gave them the time they needed that he prayed for, that extended day to finish off their enemy. So the earth slowed. Now God, in the miraculous, would have stopped the cataclysmic events that would have resulted from this. He would have stopped the monstrous tidal waves. He would have stopped the objects from flying and all the chaotic weather patterns that resulted. He would have stopped that. I truly believe that He slowed the earth where we observe nothing's moving, but it's still in rotation. Your view is your view. But what we all have to understand is the sun and the moon stood still the extended day was there to defeat the enemy. That was one of the purposes of this. Now, in this miracle, we have to understand something. Joshua wanted to finish them off before they could regroup. See, before they could regroup and find rest. See, the army was in trouble. It was in disarray. And before they could regroup and find the cover of darkness to rest and to hide and to escape, he knew that if that came, if that came, they would. They would escape, they would regroup, and they would find rest, and they'd have to fight him again. But not with the day extended. Not with the day extended. And again, there have been many attempts to provide more, a more naturalistic interpretation um, of what happened in this event, mostly to appease science, because science can't if you don't know this, science cannot buy into the miraculous. They limit themselves. But they fail to do it. They fail to do so in this event. And an important fact, one that really gets me going here, an important fact that we should not overlook is that the sun and moon were worshipped. They were principal deities among the Canaanites. They were principal deities. And at the prayer, at the prayer of Israel's leader, Israel's leader, Canaan's gods, were compelled to obey. Isn't that amazing? Fake gods, but still. They were compelled to obey. This disturbance to their gods must have been terribly upsetting, and it must have been frightening to the Canaanites. I mean, the book of Jashar, I want to tell you about that book real quick. It talks about this event. Now, the, the book of Jashar is this. It's also mentioned in 2 Samuel. It's not biblical text, mind you. But it's also mentioned in 2 Samuel. It's a poetic book. It's a book of songs um, that spoke of heroic acts, heroic deeds that were accomplished by Israel's leaders. Just recorded. And this event was recorded. So it's important to remember that this witness event was written down elsewhere too. It was written down elsewhere. And what did, what did his book say? It said, The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole Day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man and uh, the Lord fought for Israel. 
the Lord fought for Israel. He said, I have given in the beginning. Remember, I have given you into your hands. That's past tense, folks. God had already decided on the outcome of this battle. But Israel still had to do some very hard fighting. They had to contribute in this partnership. But ultimately, God fought and won this great battle. Look at verse 15. It says this, So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. Now, folks, this is a a verse of anticipation. It's a verse of anticipation in in that this campaign would be secured and that the southern part of Canaan would be conquered. It is anticipation of what happens at the end of this chapter. They're not going to Gilgal yet. The other other thing it could be is in reference to the book of Jashar, that it's a summary of the whole campaign. After he talks about the sun and moon stopping, and when they won, because God fought for Israel, then they went back to Gilgal. But they're not there yet. So let's join uh, together here in verse 16. These five kings fled, and they hid themselves in the cave at Makeda. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. Or Makeda, whatever you want to say it, it's fine with me. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack the rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has given them, there it is again, into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities. Folks, keep the kings in the caves. You continue on. You pursue the enemy. Leave them there. Seal that thing up, set a guard, and you go. We have a fight. We will not stop fighting. We have this miraculous opportunity to fight and finish off the enemy. Now, I do want to point out verse 20. It says something. It's very contradicting, but I want to explain it. In verse 20, it talks about being wiped out, but then there's a remnant. How can you wipe a people out, yet there's a remnant? Well, you have to remember the Bible a lot of times, especially in the wars, in the battle scenes, uh, excuse me, battle scenes, there's what we call hyperbolic language. So when he says wiped out, the vast majority of the army, one they'll never have to face again, was wiped out. There were stragglers running back to the city to hide. They'll take care of them later. They're not even a thought, right? But we're talking about the majority being taken out and, and being won. So when we talked about wiped out and then um, remnant remained, it's hyperbolic. Now, the Scriptures tell us that Joshua dealt with the kings. Oh, boy, he pulls them out. He pulls them out. And you know what he does? The Bible tells us that he brings them out, and he has these leaders place their foot upon their necks. Very symbolic. Very symbolic. Because what this is about is him encouraging them. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. We hear that in the beginning of Joshua a lot. Do not be afraid be strong and courageous as you keep your foot on this man's neck because thus the Lord will do to all your enemies whom you fight. All the enemies against whom you fight, this is what's going to happen. Now, I have to say this. Let me read that again. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Do you see the partnership here? God will do against whom you fight. You're still fighting, but God will do. Now, 
I want to talk about verses 29 through 43. We're not going to read those. 29 43, let me sum that up for you. The defeat of the five kings here in this miraculous mistake that's being corrected, the defeat of the five kings and their armies sealed the doom of southern Canaan. It sealed the doom. The rest of this chapter, folks, reveals the destruction of the kings, the destruction of their cities, the destruction of their towns all in this area. Why? Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Fought for Israel. Now let me tell you the secret here. The secret of Israel's triumph over the coalition of Canaanites is found in those words, the Lord was fighting for Israel. In answer to prayer, Israel experienced the dramatic intervention of God Himself on their behalf. And you want to know what's really, really cool? Victory was assured. The whole time, going up that steep mountain, tired as can be, with it being nighttime, having to fight an enemy, victory was assured. Chasing them as hailstones fell, victory was assured. Bringing the kings out, placing the foot upon their necks, showing them that even when we go fight the northern kingdom, this is the result right here. Victory is assured. See, the idea of partnership with God in the pursuit of victory is again repeated in Joshua 10, 25. You can look at that verse. God promised victory over all your enemies against whom you fight. He promised the victory, but you are still in the fight. It's a partnership. Folks, we should fight against sin. Just as jealously, uh, zealously, excuse me, as Joshua was fighting these people. We should fight against sin and the things that, that, that bring us harm spiritually just as zealously as Israel fought against the inhabitants of this land. God wants us to do something. God wants us to root out and remove the enemy. The things which do not belong. The things that interfere and keep us away from God. Things that would pull us. They need to be removed. What things? You know the enemy. Satan. The world. The flesh. These are what we are confronted with. These, what are we? Are, are we let, me, let, me, let me go this route. You are Canaan. Let's talk about your bodies for a second. Let's let your body represent Canaan. If you have infirmities or disease, or you know what? A lot of you have fought cancer in this church. A lot of you are fighting cancer in this church. That foreign enemy, that inhabitant of your body. Don't you want it wiped out? Don't you want it removed? Absolutely we do. Any kind of virus or infection or disease, we want it wiped out and removed. Think of your body as the land of Canaan. That's exactly what God wanted for his people. I want this cleaned out. I want to make it healthy. I want it to be whole. I want it to be pure because I don't want you mixing with people that are going to pull you away from me. Well, let's use the example of Canaan as our life now. Take your body away. The life. There are things in your life, people, places, things, in your life that need to be removed and wiped out. Things that interfere with your Christian walk, what I call the fight. Things that will want to pull you away from God. Things that limit 
your time with God, your focus, these things need to be removed. See, God's presence in our lives certifies something. It certifies our deliverance from the penalty of sin, first and foremost. But our daily dependence upon Him, our partnership, well, that produces victory over the power of sin in our lives. Folks, our circumstances, our choices, good or bad, unfortunately, right? The situations in which we find ourselves, human opposition, uh, spiritual conflict, these things are on the forefront. They confront the Christian constantly, not just at times. We are always confronted by the enemy. Again, Satan, the world, and the flesh. It's a full-time job fighting these. But 1 John 4.4 tells us something wonderful. 1 John 4.4 says, hey, John tells us this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John 16.33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Look at that verse. It says, it says you're going to have peace, but you're going to have tribulation. How can you have both? Because God never lies to us. He said we'll face trouble. We will have tribulation. But in Him, a child of God, we have peace in all things, even tribulation. He who is in us is so much greater than he who was in the world. Can we talk about the miraculous for a second? Because I am huge. I'm a huge proponent of miracles. The science teachers at the school that I worked with for 14 years did not like when I talked about miracles. If you accept the very first four words in the Bible, in the beginning God, in the beginning God, if you accept those, believing miracles comes easy. Because a miracle is what? It's an act of God. It is an act contrary to natural laws as we understand it, but not contrary to natural law as God understands it. Not at all. See, miracles are actions He performs for the furtherance of His redemptive purposes. That's what's happening in the story. If you have a hard time believing that the sun and the moon stopped, well, let me ask you this. Do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe in the physical body resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe Lazarus was raised from the dead? Do you believe water turned to wine? Do you believe that the disciples' nets began to rip when they caught so many fish? Do you believe that a boy's lunch was used to feed thousands of people? Because this is the miraculous, folks. We have clusters of miracles in times where God placed them for His purposes. It's quite clear that God performed a miracle at the Jordan. He separated the waters, right? Miles apart. Dry land. Cross. Two million plus people crossed. That was a miracle. What about the miracle at Jericho? They raised their voices along with priests playing trumpets, and the walls came down. And now we have this awesome, awesome miracle at Gibeon. A vast five-king army, a giant army, out in the open, just given to Joshua by God. Take them all out. The hailstones, which killed more men than the sword, right? The extended day to complete the task. 
And all because of this attack, right? All this was because this attack was for those who made peace with Israel. The deception, the peace that was made, that was the reason for the attack. That was the reason for the victory. God works all things for good, folks. All things. So, have we ever wondered, i got to believe you have, haven't we all wondered why God doesn't work miracles today like that? Why does God not work such miracles today? Well, the question is not whether He works these miracles or can, but how He chooses to work in the miraculous. See, God reveals Himself in terms of spiritual development, our growth, our maturity. He reveals Himself in the ability to receive and comprehend the revelation of God. This is the miraculous. The ability He gives us to understand and follow and love Him. We get to do this, by the way. And, 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 and in the development, and in our, in our growth. You know, George Whitfield, he was a, a great evangelist in the 1700s. He said this. This is about miracles. Remember, it's about miracles. He goes, what need is for them now that we see greater miracles every day done by the power of God's Word? Do not the spiritually blind now see? Are not the spiritually dead now raised and the leprous souls now cleansed? And have not the poor the gospel preached unto them? And if we have the thing already which such miracles were only intended to introduce, why should we tempt God in requiring further signs? He that hath ears, let him hear. All the miracles that we get to experience in this awesome living Word of God, all are for the redemptive purposes. They're all purposes, and you know what it is? It points to Jesus. And then the miracles Jesus performed along with His disciples confirmed who Jesus is, who He said He was. This all is about pointing to our Redeemer. We have the greatest miracle. We have salvation. We have the love of Christ in our hearts. We belong to Him, and we have His Word. Our abilities to understand and receive this, the fact that we get to do this is a miracle. The fact that we grow, folks, that we grow and mature in our relationship, it's a miracle. You know what? Victory is assured for you. Just like Joshua, his victory was assured. We see that in Scripture. Your victory is assured. But just like Joshua, we have to continue to fight in pursuit of that victory. From glory to glory, level to level, day to day, as we grow, that is our fight. We get to experience the miraculous. We get to experience the miraculous. Spiritual development. Our abilities, again, to receive and understand God's Word, His revelation. And I'll just say it again. I know that we all face tribulation. Yes, we do. We all will be confronted by the enemy. Yes, we will. But that is why we partner with our God who has overcome them. Because in belonging to Him, our victory is assured. I like to look at my life as Canaan. I do. I like to say, what are the things that I need to remove? Because I know God has given me victory, but I still have to continue to fight in pursuit of that victory. And I just want to read Romans 8, 28 one more time. And, that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are calling toward His purpose. You know, the sun and the moon stopped according to His purpose. The Gibeonites deceived Joshua according to His purpose. 
Joshua and those men hiked all night according to his purpose. Folks, the very God that stopped the sun and the moon is the God that holds you in his hands, who loves you so much and cares about you. So our Christian walk in this life is our fight. That's what I mean by fighting. It's our Christian walk. We have to remove and wipe out the things that would interfere with that walk, that would hinder that walk. We have to be very much uh, treat our lives just like Joshua was treating Canaan. But we are in his hands. And I just got to tell you, we get to know God. We get to love God. We get to worship God. We get to be a child of God. It is amazing. There, my friends, is the miraculous. We are saved and our victory is assured. And we can see that in the sun and the moon standing still. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. There's no way around that. And we just want to lift up our hearts in prayer today and thank you. You chose us, God. You chose us. You loved us first. You chose us. We belong to you. And victory is ours all because of you. We didn't do anything. But now we pursue that victory because the victory is you. We are pursuing you. Our lives, Father, let our lives revolve around your word for us. Let us live a life, Father, where we begin to remove the obstacles, those giants, Lord, that want to keep us from you, just like the inhabitants of that promised land were removed. Let us wipe those things out. We know the enemy's always there, Father God. That's why we partner with you in this pursuit. Father, give us boldness. Give us courage, just like you uh, uh, were edifying Joshua. Give us that courage. Do not let us be dismayed in this fight. Let us pursue you wholeheartedly in this life, Father. Let us always look to this story as one that says, you've got to stand strong. God is fighting for you. The victory is assured. You fight now for God. You walk for God. You live for God. Father, that's the prayer today. Lord, that we are ready to enter that battle. Lord, that we are ready to enter that land and clean it out so that we can be healthy, so that we can be whole. Father God, you have given us every miracle, and one of them is the Holy Spirit. Father, convict us today. Through your Spirit, convict us. Draw us close to you, Lord. Teach us, lead us, guide us in all things. Father, we know we love you. We know we love you, and we know that you've called us according to your purpose. So, Father God, the victory that it won, one of the most wonderful things about this victory is that all things work for good. And, Father, we, that's where our faith is. That's, what, that's who we count on. That's you. Father God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your love. Continue to protect us. Continue to watch over us. And just bless this day, Heavenly Father. We pray all this name. In Jesus' name, amen.